Hello and welcome to the Erwin Mitchell podcast. My name is Jeremy Raj. I'll be your host today as we discuss the recent budget announcement. There weren't many surprises from this much-awaited budget from Chancellor Rishi Sunak, and that leads us to believe there's more to come in the autumn. So we'll be discussing the main highlights with the help of some of our very own experts from Owen Mitchell. That's Ashley Hill from our Tax Trusts and Estates team, Jason Mountford, financial planning expert, and Claire Patricka Riding, head of planning and environment. So um, nice to see everybody and nice to hear you all as we're on a podcast too. Uh, back in the day, um, I'd like you to cast your minds back. We used to pass each other in the corridors of our busy offices. Um, if I was passing you in the corridor on a day like today and said, what did you think of the budget? What would your answers be? Ashley, would you like to kick us off? Yeah, thanks, Jeremy. Well, my initial uh, thoughts are there's lots of announcements about lots more spending, uh, but how's this all going to be paid for? And where, where are the tax increases which uh, have been talked about? Capital gains tax, wealth tax, increase in other taxes that just didn't arrive. So, Absolutely. Mm. Quite a lot of interest going into this as to whether this was going to be a budget that started balancing things or something that left a lot on the table for later in the year. Jason, what about you? Um, I don't think we've ever passed in the corridor, but one day we'll be back in an office. In Italy. That's right. One day, one day. Um, yeah, I would say it definitely felt like a bit of a holding pattern. Um, and I guess further to um, to go further the aviation metaphor, we got quite a bit of runway to to make some changes because as Ashley, Ashley says, there's definitely going to be um, changes coming in the future of how we're going to pay for it. We just haven't seen them quite yet. So thank you everyone for those initial thoughts and I'm going to come back to you in more detail shortly. But before I do, I thought I'd give you my impressions as a residential property lawyer of the two key issues that were announced by the Chancellor. The first is the extension to the SDLT holiday. The second big announcement in the residential property world relates to the new mortgage guarantee scheme. Stamp Duty Land Tax, or SDLT, is of course the tax paid by buyers of residential property, and they had been enjoying a holiday on that tax, which was due to expire on the 31st of March. As was widely trailed, the Chancellor has extended the SDLT holiday from the 31st of March to the 30th of June, which of course is a huge benefit to people whose transactions were in danger of missing that deadline and may also encourage other people into the market, although three months is probably still quite a short period within which to start and finish a transaction. Having said that, there was an extra and somewhat unexpected twist whereby the Chancellor gave an extra extension for part of the purchase price, taking the £250,000 of a premium paid for buying residential property to be tax-free until the 30th of September. And at that point, the tax will revert back to the usual £125,000 tax-free. But clearly some good news for particular groups of buyers there. During the lockdown period, the Treasury had noticed that lenders were not very keen 
on high loan-to-value products. So the mortgage guarantee scheme is aimed firmly at encouraging lenders, several of whom have already signed up, to provide up to 95% mortgages, and those mortgages will now be government-backed in the case of repossession. The Chancellor's catchphrase on this was that he wanted to turn generation rent into generation buy, but I have to say that my concern with that is he's in fact going to turn them into generation debt, so people need to think carefully before they take advantage of this one. So those are my thoughts in relation to the residential property aspects of the budget. I'd like to move on now to Claire. Well, I think quite a few of the themes that had been uh, had been previously discussed. So um, people have been bidding for freeport status, um, or organisations have been bidding for freeport status for for quite a while. Um, so some people will be disappointed. Um, say, for example, the Sheffield City region, they had been bidding for a freeport status, so they might be disappointed in today's announcement. Um, Important to us at Irwin Mitchell, given where our headquarters are. But um, yeah, I mean, there are there are eight winners, is that right? There are eight winners. Um, yeah, most definitely. Um, so uh, a lot of them, they say that they are spread across the UK. So both in England, Scotland, Wales and in Northern Ireland. Um, they're supposed to have covered all four points of, of the kingdom. So um, in terms of... What that means is that they get special planning status, so they have more relaxed planning uh, uh, PD rights in terms of what they can do um, and the development that can uh, go ahead in the Freeport zones. Um, they have tax incentives, which I don't really know that much about, but also some of the biggest things, especially in the the, the, the Freeports that are in the northeast, is this um, link to renewable energy and offshore renewable energy schemes. Absolutely. So this then ties in with this bigger green uh, strategy and this bigger green investment um, uh, that has been talked about throughout 2020. Um, and we also had the 10-point plan that was announced last at the end of last year. And it's really linking into this overarching um, environmental strategy for the government, especially when they run up to COP26, which is due to take place uh, later on this year. Sure. So, I mean, we'll come to that in a minute. There's the Build Back Better regime, which is, I think you, you mentioned 110 pages when we were chatting about this earlier. Um, that's a big thing, isn't it? It wasn't featured so heavily in the actual budget speech. Um, but do you want to run us through some of the key points of that? How does that tie in? So uh, it is an overarching document. Uh, it covers infrastructure, net zero, um, the green industrial revolution, um, infrastructure, etc. So it, it, it is a really wide-ranging and overarching document um, that has been produced um, to go through it quite quickly um, between uh, the budget ending and... Yeah, it, I've, uh, I've <laughs> asked you a, a difficult task there. There's a lot to cover. I mean, maybe stick with the infrastructure bank. Yes, um, yeah. That's in Leeds. So we're happy for our colleagues in the Leeds office and for the Leeds area generally. That's fantastic. There's a fair bit of money there. Yeah. Is it real money? Is it money that's been reallocated from other places? Uh, no, I think it's it's uh, new and real money. Um, so it's twelve billion pounds, um, a, a mixture of debt capital and equity to local authorities and private organisations wanting uh, 
some green infrastructure uh, capital. Um, so it's really to fund this uh, sort of sweeping change of infrastructure projects that are required for the government to meet its uh, net zero ambition. Um, so uh, it's really as a, seen as a driver to, as a, or as a catalyst for this private investment into green infrastructure projects. Um, and then, so you have this overarching infrastructure bank, then you have that leading to this change to net zero, which leads into the green guilt and the green um, savings account. Again, really focusing on this renewable energy and clean and green and clean transport <laughs> uh, infrastructure projects. So really, there is a big push here, um, which has come through of the budget statement, but is really reflected in this building back better. Um, building that greener and faster um, overall growth strategy from the government. And for people like you that, that have been tracking this for some time, a lot of this isn't that new, is it? No. Um, so um, we have been talking about these issues for the last year. So a lot of the announcements that have been made today have been made previously. Um, the National Savings Account has been floated um, and the Green Girl has been floated around. Um, so it's, it's nice to see that there is actually a firmer um, approach to it now, uh, and that has been announced, because it has been floated but not necessarily announced. You mentioned COP26, that's the UN um, conference, which is due to take place in Glasgow, um, home of another Owen Mitchell office, so those colleagues also get a shout out from us. How much of this do you think is window dressing? Um, in view of the fact that the world's eyes will be on us in November and how much do you think is, is a genuine attempt to really move the dial on these issues? I think it's a bit of both. There is certainly a little bit of window dressing, I think, or not, 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 maybe not so much window dressing, but it's certainly been front and centre of their minds that this is coming and the, the world's attention is going to be on us. So they they end the document with saying that this is a global investment destination. So they're really using the opportunity that COP26 has provided um, to build the, the green credentials of the country, but they also recognise through the Research and Development Fund, um, and I think they've got an £80 million green recovery challenge, they, they're expecting this is going to create 250,000 jobs, that they really are seeing this green revolution, um, and that's what they've pitched it as, the green industrial revolution, as a really a, a way forward uh, to um, differentiate themselves. It's an interesting thought, isn't it? Um, the, the green revolution appealing to young people and also the mortgage assistance will be appealing to young people. Claire, thank you so much for that insight. Um, I'm going to turn now to Jason and, and carry on with the green theme, actually. Because Jason, one of one of the things that we picked out when we were chatting about this was um, green investments. Do you, want, do you want to tell us a little bit about what we know so far is going to be on offer? Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's not a huge amount of detail. Rishi um, Sunak mentioned the um, retail savings product, which you would assume is going to be run through NSNI. And actually, if you look at the detail, it is going to be run through national savings and investments. So that is quite unique because it's going to be a retail savings product that is specifically earmarked for green initiatives. So again, that remains to be seen specifically what that means, whether that's wind farms, whether that's some of the detail that Claire's been speaking about. But 
it will be earmarked for for green initiatives. So um, one of the interesting things about that is that at the moment, uh, national savings interest rates are incredibly low. So I'm quite keen to see how they're going to be um, trying to pitch this to people, whether they're going to be offering an attractive interest rate to try and get investments or whether they're going to be relying on people wanting to just have their money working for them towards climate change and, and ESG type of investing. Jason, for an unsophisticated investor such as me, how where does that kind of an investment sit on the scale of things? It's it's obviously not got, got the sort of risk that, that you would get from investing in stocks and shares. It's it's similar to premium bonds, but with a with a green flavour. Is that fair? exactly right? So national savings is basically a way the government can raise money. So for an investor, it works essentially the same as a savings account. You put the money in, the government agrees to give you an interest rate, and that money is secured by the government. So it's about as it's basically as secure as you can get. So this will be from an investor's point of view, pretty much the same thing, or it appears it will be. The difference will be is where that money is actually used by the government. Having said that, if you if you look at the detail as well, they also Rishi didn't mention it in his um, in his address today, but they're actually going to be uh, releasing a green gilt as well. Now, if you look if you look right. at kind of the, the spectrum of investing, you've got national savings as the most secure. You've then got equities on the very other end of the spectrum as a much more um, uh, risky investment or volatile investment, and in the middle you've got bonds and gilts. Um, and again, it's a very common asset class. It's very widely invested in, but this is unique in that again, it's going to be um, specifically earmarked for green green investment. Fantastic. So, looking at other changes that caught your eye in today's announcement, uh, uh, there was a there was a bit of a lack of change to tax rates. Uh, but that doesn't mean he hasn't been able to raise money. How's he gone about doing that? So we we talk about this term stealth tax versus wealth tax, and I think um, inflation is is what I call the silent killer to to your investment proposition because volatility and and your investment portfolio moving up and down with the markets is very obvious. You know, you see those falls on a daily basis. You can log in and see your statement and see what's happened to your money. Inflation just slowly eats away at your portfolio over time. And that's exactly the same as what's happening with these changes to the tax rates. So by keeping them the same, you know, if we if we think about the um, the um, personal personal allowance at twelve and a half thousand, if that doesn't increase, that's actually decreasing in real terms because inflation, the cost of the things we buy each year is going up in real terms. So if that allowance doesn't grow at least in line with inflation, it's actually going down in practical terms. So that's that's how they're kind of doing it. He can um, appear there, in the media and say- There were other examples, weren't there? There, there, was, there was pensions as well. That's it's across the board. Yeah, so capital gains is staying the same. Inheritance tax um, limits allowances are staying the same. Um, the pension, uh, pension lifetime allowance is staying the same. So he's kind of taking that tactic which, to be honest, I think will work quite well for him in the media, and he's just putting that across all, of, uh, pretty much all of the different tax rates. And I think interestingly is the he's already committed to leaving them where they are until 2026. So um, it's going to be interesting to see what does get tweaked and um, what other ways they they try. He tries to, to well, raise a bit of money. A theme, wasn't it? Uh, I know, I know, corporation tax is not a specialism of yours, but but across the board, it was a it was an element of delay, wasn't there? And uh, plenty of money being spent on the face of it. 
um, and the rest of it done by Frenzy. Yeah, and I think, to be honest, that's actually the biggest opportunity for, for the clients that I deal with. You know, we're all expecting taxes to go up. We're all expecting things to be less attractive for investors and for individuals. So in a lot of ways, this actually has given us a bit of a leeway to, you know, if you are planning to be making changes to your investments or to your financial plan, this is a good chance to say, well, let's let's do that now because actually the autumn update and the budget next year potentially aren't going to be as um, benign as this one. It's an interesting time, isn't it? I mean, obviously, the whole country has been very much focused on the pandemic and lockdown and what have you in recent times. And really, all bets are off. I mean, the amount of spending that's been authorised by what is, after all, a Conservative government is quite staggering and eye-watering. Um, and at some point, there will come a time of reckoning. Um, but as you say, we're kind of in that gap now. Um, thank you, Jason. That, that gap is something I also want to explore with our tax expert, Ashley. Ashley, a few things there that will no doubt resonate with you, the clients you have, this uh, this phrase that Jason used of stealth taxes, not wealth taxes. Um, is that something that, that you see as the position that we're currently in? Yeah, absolutely, Jeremy. You know, the, the taxes were just mentioned there by Jason, but also, you know, inheritance tax as well, the, the thresholds there sure. uh, have not been extended again with property increases. That's going to, you know, they haven't been extended for many years now. So that's, that, again, another another five years, isn't it, to let increase if they are increased. Absolutely. So there's an, almost an element of quicksand here, i.e. people that thought they, they were going to be lifted out of certain taxes are, are going to find that those those bans don't change, so they're, they're stuck in them. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and just, just the income tax bans stay, staying as they are as well. So anybody who has a pay rise, they could find themselves, you know, if the band hasn't gone up as well, they, they could be into up being a high rate taxpayer or maybe even a, an additional rate taxpayer when normally bands going up, that wouldn't have been the case. So just another example of a, uh, of a, of, of a stealth tax. I think the, the private wealth industry had a lot of speculation before this, didn't they? Um, things like capital gains tax that you mentioned, um, mm. there are a lot of different thoughts about that. Have you got clients that are, that are focused on this or has everybody been thinking about other things? Oh, no, no, absolutely. J just this afternoon, I had, I had a, uh, a happy client on the phone because he, he is mid-transaction on a... On, on a deal which which hasn't completed yet and won't complete till the end of this tax year, maybe the next tax year, and he's he's very relieved because there's a substantial amount of CGT at stake if, if the rate has gone up. Other clients have been rushing to get transactions done uh, before right. before budget day, just in case. Other clients have just been crossing their fingers and wait waiting to see what might happen. And you know, the smart money was on wait and see, but you know, clients aren't like that, and they do they do worry about it. Absolutely, and, and understandably so. But that's something that you may be able to help us with, because I understand that as well as the budget announcements today, there are consultations that are headed our way. Can you can you give us some detail on those? Yeah, yeah. So th it's been it's been announced on the the government website uh, about a week or two ago. But on the twenty third of March, there's going to be some tax consultations uh, released. Now, th then these normally are. Long, long, longer running consultations, which involve uh, asking the profession what they think about various tax changes, and, and the things which are likely to going to be uh, discussed in these consultations are changes to inheritance tax, 
capital gain stacks, the way the two interact, etc. Because there's some quite favourable reliefs. The way you know when when you die owning an asset, there's no capital gains tax, uh, and it can also pass to say a spouse exempt as well. So it can, you can miss two taxes there. Uh, so there's, there's there's talk about those being addressed in the consultation documents. Uh, I don't think now consultations to... like that tend to go on for some time, don't they? But um, what what's what's your kind of betting inclination for any chance of getting things done this tax year before the autumn statement? Uh, well, historically, consultations they norm you're right. They normally take at least you know six six months, nine months, a year, even even longer than that. And they normally take normally take effect from you know maybe the following tax year. So uh, you would I doubt you'd get a consultation uh, done and dusted before before the autumn statement. I imagine they go backwards and forwards, asking further questions, getting further views, and it, it might be affected for me a, a year's time or something like that. And it, it gives you know gives clients longer longer time to think about their positions and, and plan in advance as well, uh, especially for capital gains tax. Start disposing of assets in advance. Inheritance tax. Just start your succession planning as well. Uh, if there's changes afoot, so uh, it, it gives a bit more time and uh, controlled planning, shall we say, rather than sort of panicked, panicked selling, etc. It's an interesting, interesting scenario overall. It feels a little bit like much was promised, but Jason, I, I recall that immediately after the, the budget was delivered. You said that you felt it might be a little bit disappointing or that we're still waiting for more to come out. Do you, do you still feel that way, also listening to your colleagues? Yeah, I definitely think so. You know, In a lot of ways, it makes sense. I think if, if um, the Chancellor had come out today and um, announced a whole range of increases to taxes and cuts here left, right and centre, he wouldn't be a very popular man. And I think that's the last thing we all want at the moment. So, yeah, you know, I get it from a political standpoint, but I definitely think um, there will be significant changes to come over the coming coming months and years for sure. Ashley, coming back to you, um, the private wealth industry is reasonably conservative and, and takes its time over things. But over the next few weeks, we're, we're speaking hot off the press, but over the next few weeks, how do you think this is going to settle in? Uh, you, you've mentioned a few things that make, make me think that there's a wait and see attitude that is going to develop over time because more announcements are expected maybe in the autumn or maybe later. Yeah, I think I think that's right. I mean, some some clients will be relieved and that they can carry on with their planning, especially you know clients who use private clients who use companies as investment structures. They've, they've seen you know there are going to be corporation tax rate increases, but not not for a few years. So. Their plans will will carry on. Uh, other other clients will, you know, maybe accelerate their plans to sell a business if it's at the right time. If they if they think the rates of CGT is going to go up later on this year, uh, around about the autumn time. But then again, it's you know it's a, it's a commercial decision: is it right to sell uh, at, at this point in time or not? But you know, the difference between twenty and forty percent CGT is, is a big difference for entrepreneurs, and it, yeah, it can stifle. Yeah, can stifle their sort of desire to uh, to be entrepreneurs. Thank you very much, everybody. We had a bit of a whistle-stop tour there. Um, that's it for today. Thank you for listening to the Erwin Mitchell podcast. I hope you found it interesting. And if so, please join us for our next episode.